From here on out, every foul is flagrant, boy. Let's go. You are now tuned into the chat room, your favorite baller's favorite podcast. Welcome back to the chat room podcast. I am the senator and with me today, I got coach. What do you do, y'all? Lakers six. <laughs> also got Dwayne. Going on. And on this episode, we are honored and fortunate to have some some really dope guests, and we're going to get some really dope conversations. Um, I've just met one of these gentlemen just maybe like 10 minutes ago, but I do know the other gentleman for years, maybe the past 15 years. I don't, I don't even know. I lost track of how long I've actually known him. <laughs> Been a while, brother. So we have... Officer Tremaine. How you guys doing? And Officer Milton. Blessings. And before we even jump into like any of these check-ins, the roundtable discussions, the actual interview part, um, I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity to kind of like just talk about yourself. Uh, you don't got to go into super details if you don't want to, but, <laughs> but uh, if you just want to give like a quick overview of like why you got into the work that you got into and how you enjoy it and that type of stuff. I'll let you guys start. I'll let Tremaine go first, the, young, the younger man. <laughs> you don't want to do age before beauty? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> uh, so uh, the reason why I got into this profession, firstly, it's my, uh, it's my third profession. I used to be a teacher. Um, I taught overseas in England for a couple of years. And then I came back to Toronto and um got into the TTC. I was driving the TTC for a little bit. Um, that job wasn't the, the most satisfying for me. Um, and uh, my uncle is actually a police officer. So I've always had police in my family growing up. And it was always something I was interested in. So when I came back to Toronto, um, I decided to give it a, a try. And that's where I actually, uh, I met Milton when I uh, was uh, getting into pursuing the profession. Uh, he was in the recruitment and uh, gave me a lot of wisdom and advice into joining this job. But some of the reasons why I joined this job is because I grew up in uh, Jane and Finch. And when I was younger, I didn't really see many police officers that like look like us. Um, I felt that um, it'd be something that I would be good at because I was always thinking about like community. I did a lot of parks and recreation. I was always working with youth and uh, getting involved in certain things in my community. So I always thought like this would be uh, a great next step uh, working as a police officer. Okay, okay. And, uh, and for myself, ironically, I, this is also my second prof you know, profession or job, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I, I worked for seven years um, for the deaf blind as an intervener and a lean hand for seven years prior to becoming a police officer. And what I went to school for was looking into actually being a teacher. I was going to teach phys ed and math. And while I was in uh, you know, school, I had an encounter uh, with a police officer that I thought was 
very negative, you know, and not to say that all my interactions were negative, but this particular one, I was literally driving down Orton Park, you know, and I was uh, in my fourth year of university at York and felt that I'd arrived. I came from Jamaica and I was 11 years old and felt that, you know, I had to go through certain steps. And now I think to myself, I've become, you know, a citizen of Canada for a long time, you know, given back and felt that I've become a productive member of society. But driving down Orton Park, I flashed my light off and on to say hello to my pastor and a police officer pulled me over. Now, you know, when he pulled me over, I was racking my brain thinking to myself, what did I do that was so wrong? I wasn't speeding, you know, nothing, you know, contrary to the law. So I asked a question, may I please ask why you stopped me? I wasn't rude or belligerent. I just wanted to know why, because at the time I felt you had to have been doing something wrong to be stopped by the police, not realizing, yes, they can stop you to check for driver's license, ownership, mechanical deficiencies, sobriety, et cetera. But at that particular time, I'm trying to think what was wrong. That could have been a great opportunity for that officer to say to me, you know what, young man, you know, I'm stopping you for this reason or this reason. You know, I'd flash my light or even ask me the question, why did you flash my flash your light? Because my pastor was sitting on the veranda and I wanted to say hello to him. When I flashed the light, he would have seen the car because my mom's car would have known who it was. The man said to me, you're getting a ticket. And he went off on me. Now, he never said these words. He never said these words, but how I felt it's as if he was saying to me, nigger, don't question me. And that's how I was treated at that moment. And that was the moment I decided I was going to become a police officer. Because I thought to myself, I know that I'm a law-abiding citizen as an honor student, athletic president, school president. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a positive member of society and I would be treated like this, what about that individual may sometime talk back or perhaps quote unquote, as they may say, have a chip on their shoulder. I displayed none of that. I was professional and yet I was courteous and treated very poorly. So at that particular time, that's what I, I said, I'm gonna become a police officer. Had one other negative encounter, not gonna bring it up, but it was just you know, at that moment, I decided this is what I'm gonna pursue. This is what I'm going to do because I wanted the community to recognize that there's officers that can treat the community better and treat the community well as well as the officers know, hey, they're great people in the community. How, you know, how you interact with them and how you treat them can entail the kind of relationship that we have. So that was my mindset at the time. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And honestly, to tell you the truth, I appreciate you uh, telling that story so early sure. in the podcast too. Um, is you going to, I will say it's going to sound a little weird when we just jump into the next question because it's going to be like, oh, you guys touched on a very serious topic first. And now let's ask that random question. What was the worst haircut you ever had? Yeah, we're both bald headed. It's a ball. <laughs> you guys are a bald in the pod right now. You guys, me too. But, me too. In, in high school, you know, one time I had a haircut. Now, it wasn't bad to me, but my uncle didn't like it. Mm. So it was really low up the front, you know, and had a tuft at the back, right? Mm. And my uncle said, you know, he, he was reaming me out, like, why can't I haircut that, you know? But, <laughs> but so for me, that might be the worst because he commented on it negatively. Okay, I think okay. my, uh, my worst haircut would be probably when I was probably in, like, elementary school. My dad thought it would be a good idea to perm my hair. And, uh, <laughs> and the only reason why it probably it probably turned out looking good at the end, but I just remember the burning 
and <laughs> the patches of skin there, like the, the flesh appearing the next day and stuff like that. So uh, I think that would be my worst haircut. Saying your nightmare is just like your nightmare is just like smelling that in yeah. in your dream. You're like, oh man, I gotta wake up. <laughs> when the burn just hits out of nowhere, you want to yeah, you want to yeah. wash it out. Yeah. Uh, coach. Uh, I mean, it's tough for me because like I've never really had plenty of haircuts. Like I, I've always had my hair like low, like 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 0.5 low, or I had braids, or I had afro, at a fro. Um, but I would say, like, one time when I went to Jamaica, and usually what happens is whenever I go to Jamaica, I get, I get my hair cut prior to go to Jamaica. When I get out to Jamaica, I won't cut it at all. I'll just, you know, keep, like, get it all, like, you know, and then um, have, like, one of my cousins braid it for me. This time, uh, I went to one of the barbers in Mandeville, and I got my hair cut, and this guy pushed my hairline, like, so far back. I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, I was... Like I purposely didn't go to school for like the next week. Like I, 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 I got a haircut to fly back to Toronto, and I purposely like didn't go to school for like a week. I'm like I, I gotta have this grow back a little bit, so I can you know like look look some kind of way, you know? Because at that point I, I was like in grade ten at West Hill, you know. I'm, I'm not trying to go to go go to school in the middle of the hood and have my hairline pushed back. I'm not trying to do that. So, <laughs> so that probably was like my worst. Okay, I'm doing. Um, I have to say probably when I was uh, like 19 or 18, I made the mistake of having my cousin do my haircut. Do he's the exact <laughs> same age as me. Hairline was go pretty much all the way to the top of my head up here. And these at the corners, how do you know how you're supposed to have those lineups here? Yeah. It was all the way back to my ears. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Let's just say you could see all the forehead. <laughs> at that point, I looked bald, but I had hair. It was crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, for me, this is going to be, this is like one of my most embarrassing stories. Um, so for me, it was, I had a job interview at the Boys and Girls Club. And, <laughs> and I needed to get a haircut. And it was like eight o'clock in the morning. And you know, there's no real black barbershops open at eight o'clock in the morning. So I went to, I, went I mean, kind of both would have the sign saying open at eight, but they didn't open up. Yeah. Door. So I went to, I remember this, I went to Simple Cuts by Morningside and Kingston. And I've never, like, I paid 30 bucks for the cut. And I was like, okay, they're, they're washing your hair and everything. I was like, okay, this is, this is good, like a good service. And, and the guy put the razor through to initially cut. And then he cut like one part and then goes, oh, man, I just want to let you know, this is the first time I ever cut black hair before. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and when I tell you, I, I left out of there, like I went in there confident for my interview, but I left out that barbershop and thought I'm not getting that job because of the, <laughs> the, the, the Batman signal haircut, the hairline that I had. It just, it just was not a good look, but I, for, for, for uh, for black men, getting your haircut is like, like it's like life changing, you know. Like like getting that 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 perfect haircut, like you line up and everything, like get get like the um your your face nice and done, like everything oiled up, like it's like you leave that barbershop like a like a different man. You know? <laughs> and uh, when somebody messes that up, man, it's just it's, a, it's everything. <laughs> it's the worst, man. I. Yeah. Uh, 
I was like, yo, you couldn't have admitted that you never cut black hair before you started Prior, cutting. Before, yeah. <laughs> Hold on, but you got the so job though. I did get the job, and for for people that know me, know I worked there for a very long time. Long time. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess my question would be for you: um, Did you pay full price? It was thirty bucks. That's how much we, you pay at the regular barbershop. I was like, I know, right. but but, but, but I, what, I what paid, I'm saying is after you got it, no, you I paid pay? full price because okay. I got it because I left with my hair washed too. So like, <laughs> so like, <laughs> it was a full service. I was I was I was just okay with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. but um <laughs> all right so i got a quick question that might not be on the question sheet um and this is just honestly to tell you the truth it's just something that came up because of the fact of all like ontario is putting out their uh reopening plan alberta just Our put out their reopening there, yeah. plan um <laughs> and according to some of these governments it's kind of like covid is done in, in july so my question <laughs> to you guys is um have any of you guys gotten the gotten any of the vaccine shots? If not, that's okay. And did you have any side effects? Because I think one of the one of the big things about um, this whole thing with the COVID shots is that people get them, but people don't want to talk about like the side effects or some of the symptoms that they may have. So, just a quick question for you guys: Like, did you guys get it, and did you guys get any symptoms? If you did, um, I got mine. I actually got my. Um my second one yesterday okay. um and uh it was just like any other shot i've ever had just a little soreness on my arm i didn't get sick or anything like that i wasn't fatigued or just went out my normal day so man, i wouldn't say i had any side effects i do see people's apprehension about getting the shot but um me personally i haven't had any side effects i just took it as when i was in school we had to go get shots mm-hmm. when we were kids and I just took it as the same thing. So just another shot. And hopefully if I get my shot, I, I can have more freedom sooner. Okay. Okay. I, I took mine, the Pfizer one at um, ending of March. And ironically, I had no side effects from it, just a regular shot, just, you know, but eight or nine days later, I did get the COVID. Um, I did get sick. Um, but they say the shot kicks in in about 14 days. So I got sick prior to the shot becoming effective. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps it might've helped um, and I didn't have to be hospitalized. Uh, it was uh, a rough s- several days while I was sick. You know, the coughing was just horrendous, um, you know, but I'm slated to get my second shot perhaps in July. I could have gotten it sooner, but they recommend that you wait three months if you are, if you got COVID before you get your second shot. So personally, I have no issues getting the shot. You know, I, I think, you know, even though there's apprehension pertaining to it, my thing is this, that I'd rather take it and live with some of the side effects because I've known several individuals who've gotten sick, who've gotten COVID and have died. Yeah. And for me, my thing is, you know what, I'd rather chance the side effects rather than getting sick and then, you know, perishing, so. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, my um, like my my stepdad's seventy, so I don't want to be going around him unprotected. Not for me, because I'm younger and I probably would be able to handle it. But he's seventy years old, and it wouldn't be a good look if you know he got sick because of me. You know, so that's another reason why. And I also got Pfizer as well. Definitely, yeah. uh, Dwayne. I know you came on here before, and you said you did. Uh, did you get yeah, any side the- symptoms? Um, no, no symptoms, just the soreness in the arm. It was a bit lasted about a day and a half. 
other than that, no symptoms. No, I wasn't tired or anything like that. So yeah, I was fine. Um, I'm so slated to get my second one in August, but now they're saying that you're able it. to get your first, your second one. So I'm probably going to book it. I'm probably going to book it as soon as possible. Right now, I tried to go today, actually, but it was, it, yeah, there was that Chopper Drug Mart in Bayview there and York Mills, but they said that they ran out. So I'm going to book Dang. again and see if I can get the second one as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, cool. I have not, I have not got my shot. Um, I'm one of those that are on the fence. Um, I have a daughter and I, and I work in a, uh residential home so like i'm 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 i can get it uh i just i'm not not sold yet you know and i i live my life like very very careful so that's not to say that like i'm not gonna get there whatever the case is but like i i don't know i don't know i'm just not sold yet I'm, like i i'm nothing against people who get it i'm not saying i'm not gonna get it i'm just i'm just, I'm just at the stage right now where it's not sold yet. Like I'm one of those guys who like I I I've, I've gotten the flu shot that I can recall. Like that was my choice. I got the flu shot once in my life. I'm 32 now, and I'm sure that when I was younger, like I have my daughter now, and I'm sure that like I've had plenty of shots like measles, all that stuff before when I didn't have a say to it, you know. But like for me having a say to it, I had my flu shot last year when when when, when my daughter was when my daughter was one, just to kind of keep her from like you know because babies can't get their flu shots or whatever. So I did that. And I was so pissed off because I was sick for like three days, and that's the worst <laughs> I ever, ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just I'm just at the point right now where, as I as I said earlier, that I haven't gotten yet. Might get in the future. I'm undecided right now. So yeah, that's my little just to, thing. Just to that. touch upon that, you know, um, the, for me, when I got I got the flu shot twice in my entire life. The first time I got it, I was like you. I got so sick, I vowed I'd never take it again. But then what transpired is, for my wife's sake, in terms of sickness and stuff like that, underlying conditions, I took it the second time. And the second time, I had no issues. No issues. But I vowed I was never going to get it. But the first time, I was sick as a dog. Yeah, I was. But the second time I got it, I was I was fine. Yeah, that's fair. Like, no, like, I I, 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 I don't, like, those who know me, like, I usually don't get sick. Like, if I, if I do get sick, it's like, you know, like, something is really, really wrong. But, like, I usually don't get sick. So that's without that's for that. But like when I got the flu shot, like I was down. Like I couldn't keep nothing down. I was like sweating. I had cold sweats. I was in pain. I like it was it was so bad, man. It was so bad. And then after after that I'm like, I'm never getting it again. And then here I am here I am today where I'm like, you know, like if it means in the future, well like my, my daughter's protected. My family's protected. All that's protected. Then it's 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 it's, it's a no brainer. Like it's something that you know, like as as a provider and stuff that like I'm gonna do, you know. But until I get to that bridge, I'm just here, you know. I think it's different for like like I said, I was apprehensive at first too. That my mom's in healthcare, my my um wife's family's in healthcare, and they talked about it and kind of let me see that maybe it's something I need, especially because. In my job, I got to go to people's houses. I got to be out on the road. I'm like mixing yeah, yeah, around yeah. with a whole bunch of different people. So my, I would say my um, chance of maybe catching something is higher than maybe, for maybe you. Because mm-hmm. uh, you work, I guess you said you work in a residential home. Like it's one place, yeah. right? Yeah, one place, yeah. 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 And one day I can go to like 20 different places. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
if everybody in those places are being careful or washing their hands and stuff like that. So it, it's it based on like your own, like what your, your lifestyle is and for sure. And how, yeah. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I was apprehensive. Um, I did get the shot. I got, I got the Pfizer shot. Um, I actually got what um, is one of the lesser known symptoms uh, from the shot. And I have, few spots on my arms of skin discoloration which goes away after four days but it's a very it's one of those very lesser uh common symptoms um so i did contact uh 811 like they suggest for you to do just to see like if it's something i should i should have been worried about or anything like that um they said as long they they are like as long as it's not spreading then you're okay it goes away and they wanted to know if it was like an allergic reaction to it. Um, it's not, it's just, like I said, Symptom. just one of the lesser symptoms. And the only reason why I truly decided to get it is because my uh, work contract got extended. So I got a, I had a job that was a temporary job for six months and it's working uh, with the homeless population. So once it got extended until next year, I was like, I'm going to like, viewings and all that stuff with these homeless people that won't be able to protect themselves like how I protect myself right like their close con the chances of their close contacts are really high compared to mine in my normal life right so I felt like I needed to do whatever I have to do to protect myself so yeah as long as it's not spreading I'm keeping a, I keep keep a track on it it hasn't spread at all it's actually getting better now um so I'm just hoping it's gone by next week because as a, as a black man with smooth skin, I don't want to see any blemishes on it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, so here's the last question for the roundtable discussion. You're getting offered $10 million to do karaoke and you have to be able to sing one song, but you have to know at least 90% of the lyrics to that song. Which song are you choosing? Is there, there's, is there any like stipulations or anything like that? Because I'm not a gambling see, person. So. See, like, me, like me, like me being the smart Alec I am, like, I'm going to easily say like A, B, C, or one, two, three. That's one, what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, those kind of say songs, happy birthday. But, yeah. Nah, you're, but, you're, at a, you're, yeah. at a, you're at a Korean, uh, Korean karaoke bar and some and a rich person says yo i'll give you 10 million dollars if you can choose a song from this book and sing it 90 percent of the lyrics you know it mines will definitely be anything well not anything probably like three to four backstreet boy songs hey man you guys know like i love my my uh, 90s pop so well three to four backstreet boy songs <sighs> And sing song. Like, uh, okay. Spice Girls. Like any of those genres, like, yeah, I can probably sing about 80 90%. Some backstreet, one backstreet boy, so I can sing 100%, but I'm not going to get into that. But um, yeah. All right. My girl is the only one that knows this secret. But I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna finally bring Here we it go. up. the <laughs> Good. Let's go. That's so, the beans, man. On the pot. So new kids on the block. There we go. Never let you go by Jordan Knight. I know that song top to bottom. My girl, go. my girl, my girl was shocked. She's like, "You listen to this?" I'm like, "Listen, no one must know." But I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, um, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good yes, with sir. it now. 
I'm de- I've Damn. dealt with this. I'm, <laughs> I'm confident enough to tell the world. We want to, boys, Jordan Knight, never let you go. We want to appreciate uh, Fanfare's girl uh, for giving him the confidence to come on here to actually (laughs) do such a strong (laughs) empowering her black man. Yep. (laughs) Oh man, I I think mine would be uh, Whitney Houston, um, the greatest love of all. You know that you know. I believe the children are our future. Teach them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that would be mine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying I could, I, I wouldn't sing it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody said anything about singing Nobody's, it well. You just yeah. have, to, sing it. Well. You just have to know 90%, well. 90% yeah. of the lyrics. Nothing about singing well. You know, because, yeah. When, uh, when Kanye's Love Lockdown album came out, I, I had that, that whole album memorized. So anything off of there. Anything on that? I would probably be able to yeah. sing. 70 or is it 70 or 80%? Would you say 90%? 90%. 90%. 90%. 90%. 90%. 90%. 90%. 90%. I can think I can get through as long as the, the beat was playing. I don't the beat's know if playing? I can do it without, yeah, yeah. yeah. The beat's playing. Yeah, All right. that's, that's important. Here we go. Yeah. So for me, I am going to choose the okay. easiest route. So y'all decide. Y'all what started off. Song you nah, y'all started off with saying <laughs> um, A, B, C. I'm going to say. I'm going to go with the probably the second easiest song that was ever done in R&B and hip-hop history. And that is the thong song because it's only one same verse. Yeah, it's same one verse, verse yeah, and same one verse. hook yeah, yeah, three was. times. Was, so was, so as long as I know the first verse and the chorus, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I'm yeah. good for that's the rest true. of it, right? So that's my answer. All he did was just get more assertive and yeah. higher. Yeah. Each verse. Yeah, it's exact. It's one verse. In the tempo. One that's, verse, that's two times, and the chorus five times. I'm that's good. What about, <laughs> what about the ad libs? Hey, I only have to sing the main words, right? <laughs> like, I said, I said, I said, I said, and then if, if if you're doing good karaoke with good people, you'll have people around you doing ad libs for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> It'll be good. In fact, I will say that's one of the things that I missed throughout this whole uh, like the pandemic was um, at least five or six times since I'm a year when I moved out to Calgary, I would end up at like uh, Korean karaoke places and mm. we would, we would do it. And there was this one place. It's like the private rooms. It's just you and your people and stuff just singing. So, you know, like it's all, it's always a vibe in there. So the fact that like, haven't been able to do that in pretty much a year and a half a has a been, half, has yeah. been crazy. And so now um, once it opens up, Man, I'm. I think that might be one of the first things I do. So, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um. All right. So, uh, into the discussion and stuff. Um. So yeah, we've all kind of seen the perception of like law enforcement, um, in the in media, in like in like discussion groups and conversations, all that stuff. We all seen like how the perception has been, um, especially with like the George Floyd. And um, Tamir Rice and like all like all the stuff that has been going on in the U.S. and like throughout the world, um, but c- c- kind of take us through like 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 your journey and your career a bit. Like how has that been? And um, like we've all heard kind of like the like we all heard people say that like when when police officers leave their house, um, they don't know if it's if that's the last time that they're gonna come back to their house. Um, so like there's there's, <clears throat> there's that level of like um, fear and stuff, or not? I want to say fear, but that level of like being aware. Um, so I guess my question would be right now is, um, has there been a time where you've had to, where you've been in, in, a, in a situation where you've had to draw your weapon? And what has that experience been like for you? Like, like what, how, how has that experience shaped your career? 
You want to go first? All right, sure. Um, for me, th there have been a few instances when I've uh, pulled my service um, weapon. Um, you know, on one situation, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak of this one particular situation. I was working in Scarborough at the time, and I was um, traveling on Kingston Road, and I saw a gentleman walking down the street, and he had a gun in his hand. Now, at that particular time, I didn't know what kind of gun it was. I saw a gun. I didn't know where he was coming from, what had transpired, where he was going. And what I did, I, you know, as we're taught, um, there's several things, space, you know, you know so, so distance, time, and cover. Those are three things that we're taught in policing. So, for, so you want to be away from that individual. So create some space between you and that individual, right? You want to cover. So, you know, cover or concealment. So for me, I went behind, I got out of my car. I went behind the police vehicle so I can address the individual from that distance and have the engine block in the car if this person decides to fire at me. I had some cover because I had to engage this person because I don't know where they were going. And then time. Time is your friend. So you take the time to de-escalate the situation, speak with them. And you also want to create that space to let them know, hey, I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to harm you. I want the situation to end well, but I need to address it. So that's what I did. I got out you know, of my vehicle, went behind my car. I radioed and let dispatcher knew what I had. I drew my weapon and then I commanded the individual to stop drop their weapon, et cetera. And it worked out fine. It worked out fairly well. It turned out it was a BB gun, okay. right? But those BB guns, they look so real. So, yeah. mm -hmm. You you it's don't true. know. Mm -hmm. you know. So what I've done in the, in the future from that time on in the community, I've done presentations where I've gotten guns that are real, mm -hmm. guns that are fake, and try and have members of the community pick out which out. one is real, which one is mm -hmm. fake, it's difficult to do, especially even from a distance. And there are manufacturers who actually make fake guns to look real, look real. and real guns to look fake look with fake. Hello Kitty on them and all that sort of thing. So it's difficult to differentiate the real from the fake. But there's measures that we have that we can create that space and distance and address the situation so all can end up well. And that's what transpired. I've pulled it on other occasions, but, mm -hmm. you know, and so far, I pulled it, and everything I've worked out well. I pulled it That's when good. there was real guns involved. But once mm -hmm. again, that space, that distance, and you know, thank God, it's always worked out well in my favor. Did you guys sure. ever see the the news article about the person that got arrested because he painted his nine millimeter to go inside to look like a Nerf gun? And it yes. Was in that yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 and I'm well aware of that situation because, as I said, when I was teaching in the schools, you know, I was aware of that from way back that they've had those possibilities where they're literally making the gun to go into that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it, it's 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 ludicrous. Yeah. yeah no, like um, part of the things I've been kind of um, lucky, like in like my line of work out here, is like work, working with like youth that are at risk. Even when I, even when I was in Toronto working with boys and girls and stuff, like working with youth that are at, at risk or deemed at risk and stuff, is that like out in Calgary, I don't know if I have in Toronto, but out in Calgary, they have the police museum um, and it's free. It's free. Like you, like you can go, anybody can go whenever they want. Uh, it's free to the public. And literally like you go in there and they like, they have um, like real guns. They have fake guns that look like real guns. Real guns look like fake guns. They have like the SWAT attire. They have all the information on that. All the, all the, they have the information available to the public on like the most dangerous intersections in Calgary and like the SWAT, the SWAT stuff and the police dogs and all that stuff at the police museum. And I've been able to go there like a bunch of times with a bunch of youth and stuff. And 
um, me going there, I'd be able to like soak up some information and like I'd, I'd be able to see that, oh shoot, like they really have like, like obviously like you hear, you see stuff in the news, right? But like I'd, I'd be able to go and say, oh no, this is a fake gun, a BB gun. This is a real gun. They both look the same, you know? And, and uh, unless you're holding it in your hand, if you feel the weight difference, then you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna know, right? So speaking to like, like, like speaking to what Milton just said, like it's, if you don't know, you don't know. And like, yeah, that's that. <laughs> Well, me personally, um, Milton's been on the job longer than me. Uh, seven years, I I pulled my um my gun uh, just a few times, but I actually was fortunate enough never having to have to point it at anyone. Um, I've also point uh, pulled out my taser. Um, that's when I I've actually had to uh, uh, point it at someone, but I've never actually deployed it. Um, so there's been a few occasions where I've had to display my um uses of force but i've never actually had to use it and again um i'm like gonna right now i'm in a different unit where sometimes i have to walk around with a with a rifle so it's i'm not pointing anyone but i it's it's out so it's like people see it yeah. so um it does give a certain perception but again like it i can't that's something that you can't like conceal it's yeah. out in plain as day so it, I have to be a uh, constant of how I'm like holding it or because I know it does give people apprehension and stuff like that. But um, like I, Milton said earlier, when those situations, time, distance, and space is, um, is crucial because um, like Milton said, he, he saw a gentleman with a, with a gun. When he came to arrive, uh, pulled out my weapon, it's been people with knives. Mm. And so you, same thing, you got to keep your distance because someone could with a knife could charge at you in, in a second. They're on top of you, right? So it's all, you're always having to like assess and reassess and think the ways to keep yourself safe, the person or people that you're dealing with safe and then other people around that are safe. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, no, that's, that's, that's really uh, insightful stuff, man. It's like, like us as the public, like we, can assume things and we can hear things, but it's nice to kind of get that perspective, that perspective and stuff from, from people who are actually wearing the uniform and then being involved with that stuff daily. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the next thing I'll ask is like, um, we've all pretty much heard of like the Miranda rights and like, and like, and like that kind of stuff. Um, but like, besides like those, like those Miranda rights, um, what are some rights that like you think that like, myself or others as civilians should like kind of know when they're kind of being when, when they're being stopped or, or whenever they're involved with law, with law enforcement like what are some other things that like that that, that the civilians should kind of know well uh like the Miranda rights is more of a American US, yeah yeah US. so here would be your rights to uh counsel uh basically that you have the right to speak with a lawyer um, your right to not say anything to incriminate yourself or anything like that. Uh, main thing, for example, if a police officer stops you, you have the right to ask, am I being detained? Am I free to go? Like if they're not investigating a crime, you don't have to have that conversation. It's not saying that you don't, like you might want to have the conversation because they might, it might be a friendly conversation. Not every interaction with the police officer is going to be negative. one that's negative and they're like looking to get you in trouble or something like that. It might need your assistance in something but you do have that right to ask, do I have to have this conversation with you? Uh, you also have the right to record any interactions you have with police officers. Um, even if you're like uh, someone that's not involved in the situation, you can record it. 
as long as you're at like a distance where you're not obstructing or getting involved, but you do have the right to record and be present. And we've we've uh, we've seen where where that has been beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking like directly Most, to like George Floyd, you know. Yeah, you do have that right. And and in terms of even vehicle stops when you're driving, the only person that's obligated to speak to the officer that stopped them, unless they can find and show some criminal or some criminality, criminal behavior, etc. But only the driver, you know, is obligated to speak to to the officer and in terms of it just to do with the vehicle stop itself driver's license ownership insurance and what's involved in that and you know your name especially if you don't have your identification the passengers you know do not have to speak to the officer unless they're not wearing their seatbelt and in that sense if you're not wearing your seat but you're over 16 you know you're going to be ticketed in that regard then you must volunteer that information identification to give to the officer so they can record who you are if they're going to give you that ticket you know, if you're under 16, 15 and under, then it's the driver who's responsible to ensure that you have your seatbelt on. But you're not obligated as a passenger to speak to a police officer. Not saying that you cannot, and not saying that you should just be quiet, you know, but in terms of your rights. rights. And sometimes if the officer approaches you and they're respectful, et cetera, and you want to be respectful, you can have a cordial conversation, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of your right. You know, there's nothing obligating you to speak to an officer at any time other than in those situations, you know. And even if you're if you're arrested for criminal activity, you still don't have to speak to them. You know, mm. now, if you're not identifying yourself, then they can take you to the police station until they're satisfied with the identification. So mm. recognize that if you don't speak, sometimes it can be more detrimental mm. for yourself because they have to establish who you are as a yeah. person if they're going to charge you. And they can keep you as long as necessary to identify who you are. I got a, I got a funny story for, for you based off of that, what you just said, Milton. So I was in high school and we went out for lunch and they uh, stopped the car that I was in right on Galloway. I was heading back to school. I went to Laurier and they stopped it right at Galloway. And it's a good thing I stopped at home first because I picked up a textbook because I had no ID, no nothing on me. And so <laughs> they're walking around, they're asking everybody like, all right, can we see identification? Can we see like, what's your name, whatever? So I tell them my real name and they're like, okay, do you have anything to prove that this is your na- real name? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I got a textbook that I just wrote my name in like three days ago. They're like, all right, that was my ID that got me out of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally just a textbook, but it was just something that's say my name in it. So no, I mean like kind of kind of kind of speaking to that, kind of speaking to what uh, Tremaine said earlier, is that like not every interaction with police officers are negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had like growing up in Galloway, Kingston and Galloway, um I've had my my handful of uh run-ins with, with the law, uh, both negative and positive. Um but like some of the most memorable experiences I've had have been like for like kinds of officers have been like kind to me, you know, like, and like I, as a black man, that's odd. Well, to, for me to say it odd, like I've had instances where I like, I made a like genuine mistake. Like I was switching over my vehicles. I didn't have no license, no registration, no license plate, nothing in my vehicle. It was just, I was just driving it because I slipped my mouth driving it from my house to the auto mechanic place. No, I didn't. I didn't. It didn't. It didn't come right to my mind, and I got pulled over. Obviously, because I had no plates, no nothing, nothing on my car, and the cop stopped me, and um, 
He was like, uh, you know, you have no, no place in your car. I'm like, oh, shoot. I completely forgot, you know? And like, he's like, okay, can I have your license registration? And so like in my, in my panic, I'm like, I'm looking for my license registration as I'm realizing, oh shoot, I left my license registration on my car. So I'm, I'm on my table. So I'm looking for that. I'm panicking. I'm going through everything. I'm not, I'm not even taking in that like, okay, well, you know, like maybe I should show my hands or, you know, like all that perception, all that's going through my head, you know, and I'm just looking through that, looking through this through that, and the officer's like, okay, stop. Um, I can see you don't have it on you. I see like, he's like, right now I can, I can tow your car. I can, I can find you. I can bring you. I can do all this stuff to you right now. But he's like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna give you this ticket. This ticket, it was like, I think it was like $5,000. So I'm looking at it, I'm like, holy shit, 5K oh, for a ticket. Like, you know, I'm panicking. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, th- I think I'm like, 20 years old, whatever. I'm like panic. I'm like, where am I gonna find five <laughs> k? You know? He's like, listen, listen, listen. I'm gonna write the ticket for you. I have to do it. So I'm writing the ticket for you. And what I'm gonna do is, if you can go to the court office and the court courtroom in the next, what I think the thing gave me like five days or whatever. That if you can go there, prove that you have license, registration, all that stuff, this will be dropped. So I'm like, okay, cool. So like, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I, I can do that. And uh, he he followed me to. Our, me- our mechanic plays, like I dropped my car off and he gave me a ride back to my house. You know, so like, so like that experience, I'm like, yo, he didn't have to do that. The next day I went to go, go show my, all that stuff. I got everything dropped, you know, but it's one of those things where I'm like, as I'm watching like all this stuff on the, on the, on the news about like people getting pulled over and getting shot, like, uh, like for like, for nothing, you know, like I'm playing, I'm playing that situation in my head. I'm like, yo, like I turn my back, I put my hand under my seat. I'm doing all this stuff where it could be perceived as I'm reaching for a weapon. And I'm like, on that incident, I, I could have got shot on that day, you know? And it's just playing that in my head. And that was the instance, instance where I'm like, okay, well, this is, a, this is a, a, a good officer, you know? So that's just kind of my story of showing that, like, not, not every interaction with officers are, are negative. So, yeah. I think that with your story there, that would probably be the majority of police officers. Majority of police officers are, are good officers. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the majority of black people are good people, but certain people might have a, per- a certain perception about perception. black people, right? Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so that ex- that example you gave is pr- is most likely the norm, right? And I like mm-hmm. what I like to say is like even though we're people are police officers and they're held to a higher standard of like being professional and dealing with the public, they're they're people first, and people. Some people have a bad day. Some people have good days. At the end of the day, even though they're police officers, they're people. So they can, like, like the way you think someone at a bank would, would, would behave or someone at McDonald's, like you, it's hard to say exactly what you would get. But the majority of those people are good people. Yeah. I look at it this way that, you know, that police officers are a cross-section of society. Mm-hmm. Wherein in society you have, I, I say, as individual we're good, but we're also fallible. You know, we have faults, we have failures. And I look at that, you know, in the police and then sometimes you can say the good, the bad, the ugly, you know? And, and I think, you know, even though that's an exaggerated view to look at certain things, we have certain circumstances where some officers are, are good, but may make mistakes. You have some who in my mindset perhaps should not be police officers. You know, they can pass the physical aspect of it but it comes down to how they treat the public, their perception and the mindset, us versus them, et cetera. In that situation, I think there's some individuals who should not be wearing that uniform when they get to that place where quote unquote, they become the bad or the ugly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and, and just to talk about that media perception, if we look at the Derek Chauvin situation, because it's highlighted and there's other officers like yeah. him who haven't been brought to the surface or to the fore as yet. But mm -hmm. if we look at it, Mr. Chauvin had already shown who he was before the Previously. George Floyd situation, but it was swept 100%. under the table. 100%, and yep. that is what irks me about policing at times wherein we have the majority of police officers who are great individual dynamic persons, but we do have a percentage that are rotten to the core. And unfortunately, some of the decent officers, because it's not them that are doing the, you know, the negative things, sometime with that thin blue line, they keep their mouth shut. And that's detrimental to us, to that perception as to why there's a widespread, you know, mistrust in the community towards policing. Because sometimes the good police officers do not hold the negative or the bad police officers accountable. And sometimes they don't hold them accountable because of fear. Because when you hold them accountable, sometimes there's reprisal on you as an officer when you step over the, in the line, quote, unquote, and hold somebody that's accountable and reported, unfortunately, sometimes those in authority and power sometimes come down on you because, quote, unquote, you're not one of the boys, right? And sometimes, you know, so that's what we have to fight against, holding each other accountable, you know? And, and I think that's why sometimes the perception is so negative because, unfortunately, we're not doing a, a good as job as we should be in that aspect. Definitely, definitely. Def I definitely agree. I think <clears throat> the biggest thing that I like from the outside looking in as a civilian, the biggest thing that I see is that like the accountability piece. Cause like, like as, as Milton just said, like I know officers who like up and down who are great people. Like Milton was one of those guys who, who would be in Kingston Road and Galloway in the hood, the Boys and Girls Club, you know, and he'd, he'd be there looking out for people. Like I, like not a lot of people like, well, obviously not people know, but like, when I had my 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 runnings with the law, like Milton was one of those guys who kind of wrote a letter for me, you know, and kind of spoke on on on, on my behalf. And it's like, <clears throat> um, those good officers, like for sure, outweigh the negative. But it's the perception, it's the media perception, it's the it's the publicity, it's the highlighting of the negative officers. And when like that's that's where like kind of the trouble comes in with like the trust and mistrust with the community, right? Um, it's just that. As you see on TV shows, you know, the blue wall, you see all that stuff on TV shows, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Dwayne. All right. So we all, we all well aware of this current racial climate that we're in right now. And we have historically been in. But whose responsibility is it um, to remain calm in situations pertaining um, to law enforcement? Is it the civilian's responsibility or is it the police officer's responsibility? I think it's everyone's responsibility to stay calm in, in those situations. Uh, again, police are held to a higher standard. So they're going to be, police are going to be more people that should stay calm or are expected to stay calm. Um, but everyone needs to stay calm because at the end of the day, everyone needs to go home safe, right? So when everyone goes home, everyone's going to go home safe, it usually happens when everyone's calm. And um, like, again, um, Civilians, like I understand if you're dealing with the police, emotions come into it a lot of time because you know you think, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Why is the police officer talking to me? Why are they saying that this happened? But a lot of times 
the police officer is getting information from someone else. It's not the police officer that is saying, this is what you did or this is the situation. It was information passed on to the police and now the police are investigating that, right? So uh, from the civilian standpoint, sometimes you got to remember that the police are there doing a job and it's not personal. And from the police standpoint, that's someone's on the civilians and that's their life. So it could change your life drastically. So they're going to be more emotional about it. Whereas to you, it's just like another call. I'm going to deal with this again three other times today to that person that you're dealing with that one time that could change their life forever. They could lose their job. They could lose their kids. They could lose a lot of things. And that's probably what's on their mind. What's not on your mind as a police officer. So I would say, again, everyone needs to be calm or try to be calm as best you can because you obviously, when emotions come, you can't tell someone, calm down or chill out. Nobody's going to listen to that. But everyone has to keep that in the back of their mind that everyone needs to remain calm. And I concur with Tremaine. I think it's everybody's responsibility to remain calm and try to help the situation. But I think there's some parameters that may guide that as well because we as police officers have that special training you know, to de-escalate situations. The general public don't have that. So even though it's everybody's responsibility, there's a bit greater onus on the police. And, and not only that, it's everybody's responsibility to uphold the law, everybody. But the ironic thing is we as police officers are one of the few people who get paid to actually be you know, servitude in law. The public don't get paid for it though. So in essence, it's our vocation, it's our job. So there's a greater onus on us in that perspective to bring our training, our professionalism to the job and try to de-escalate situation. And it's also great if we put our shoes in the civilian's perspective and encourage them somehow to put their shoes you know, in ours in terms of let's have that dialogue, that conversation. So let's think and put ourselves in the other person's place. The only way we get there is if we have continuous dialogue between the community and police on a continuous basis. Yep. So before the police officers come to that situation, it would be great if that civilian had had some forewarning of how we are as police officers. So right now, I think part of the part of the negativity is we're not talking to each other enough. Right. So we need to set those groundworks, you know, going into the communities, talking to people, not, you know, you know, having those community events. You know, so that the community could know us, we could know the community. So when those encounter come, it's amazing when you walk into some place and you recognize somebody. It's like, bam! You know what? Hey, sure, Johnny. You know, it's it's gonna be okay, man. It's gonna be okay. Let, let's have a conversation. What's happening? You know, when I go to certain events, for instance, now I dance all over the place, and people wonder why. There's a method to my madness. When I go to certain events and I'm already dancing with the people and, I, and I'm, and, and, you know, they're, when they get a bit drunk a little bit later on and I go to, you know, the gentleman and say, hey, you've had a little bit too much. They don't fight me. They don't argue with me because I've already built up that rapport Maybe. with them from earlier in the mm -hmm. evening. Yeah. I don't fold my arm and just sit back and watch. No, I get engaged. Mm -hmm. So I think if we as police officers, sometimes even when we're patrolling, get out of the car, walk to the schools, you know, walk through the community. Right when the shooting happened at Danzig, I walked up in Danzig, no gun in shorts, and talked to the people. Right, and so if we police like that more and engage the community, I think we would have a better chance of you know of having proper and great interactions when we come to deal with other greater things. And and that's my sure. perspective on that. For sure, it's it's, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that Danzig stuff because Senator and I were both there, man, and that was one of those 
moments where you'll, you'll never forget that moment. You know, like, you know I, mm-hmm. I remember that moment like every, like not every single day, but it's one of those things that I'll never forget being, being yeah. there, being involved in that. Like, I remember what happened, like what happened before, what happened after. I remember everything. And that's one of the moments where like, um, it, it was nice to kind of, kind of know that, okay, well, I know that there's good officers here, bad officers here, whatever, whatever the case is, but I, I know at the end of everything, I felt safe. Yep. You know, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, did you feel safe because there was officers like from your community that were there or like you, for sure. you were familiar with? For sure, and, yeah, for uh, sure. So think, I think that's what we need a little bit more of too is officers that come from a certain area. Right, like sure. no. from the like, sort give Toronto as an example. You uh, to police Toronto, you you gotta kind of know you gotta know Toronto, right? Um, not saying that if you come from somewhere else, like you bury and you become a police officer Toronto, you can't get to know Toronto. But like Milton and I would say myself have kind of a, an advantage coming from 100%. certain or growing up in certain areas. Whereas he was talking about walking through dancing in his shorts and talking to people. The same thing happens to me and Jaden Finch. Like I. Couple, I think like a month ago, I was there with my team and we were walking through, and people, I didn't even recognize some of these people because they knew me when I was like three years old. Kid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yo, you're a cop." And they're like, "How's Maureen? How's your mom? How's Chris?" And it's that. And, and sure, yeah. my guys on my team are like, "You know these people?" I'm like, "Not really." Like they, I've seen them when I was like, like their faces look familiar, but they know me more. So, and sure. it's that kind of relationship where they know you from before. They know your family. Yeah where they're more willing to communicate just, and open up and have dialogue with you. It just puts people's guards down. Yeah. Toronto is known as the screw face capital of the world. For, <laughs> for a reason, you know, for a reason. Yeah. Wherever you go in Toronto, it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter where you go. Like, you, you can go to a barbecue with family and everybody is there. Some kind of attitude you're catching. Wherever you go, because it's just the perception. It's just the- but I would like know, to, I would like to somewhat disagree on one part though, right? Which part? So I understand, I totally agree with people from the same community going back and trying to help police that community, right? Yeah. But you have to have a mentality of you want to keep that community safe. It's not mm-hmm. everybody can go back there to be police officers yeah. because if you if you sometimes having that badge, you feel way more powerful than you are. And having that and being, you may have been bullied in that, neighborhood before so your thing is i'm going to go back and now that i have this power i can go back and use it on them right you need people that are that want to be a part of the community want to keep the community safe it's all it's a it's that mentality of it so like for for me i'll say milton because obviously me and you have a long-standing relationship i seen from the moment when i met him it was i'm here to make sure that the community is safe and that's it so any little thing that there was, any opportunity that there was, when I used to have to drive around that trailer all, all around, and then we would see, and we would see him come by. We just knew Barbecues. if he was there, like it was gonna just be a party. Like he'd come up to me, and be like, "Hey, go play, play this, play this track for me." And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I play it, and then he's dancing. But dancing. It, keep, it keeps the guard down for everybody. Mm-hmm. But that's because he has that mentality of mm-hmm. he wants to protect. Not everybody mm-hmm. can go back in there and, mm-hmm. and protect that neighborhood. And, like, and I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying, but I, I think that goes back to what Milton said earlier. Is this that policing 
not everyone is built to be a yeah. police officer. So if you have that yeah. mentality that you don't want to keep a community safe, you shouldn't be a police officer because that's mm -hmm. basically a, a major premise of your job is to yeah. keep a community safe. No matter safe. if you come from that community or you're a stranger to that community, your job, that's what you signed up for is to keep communities safe. So if you're going there because some guy stole your Jordans when you were 15 and you want to go get retribution, then that job isn't for you. This job isn't for you. Mm -hmm. I think like I have, I have some people that I know, some acquaintances that I know that um, have been cops or been officers, or whatever, in districts that they that they haven't grew, that they they didn't grow up in, and like they they will tell me they're like it's one of the hardest things that they have they have to do because they don't have an understanding of the community, they don't have an understanding of the people, mm -hmm. they don't have an understanding of mm -hmm. the ways. It's just it's really hard to step into an environment where you where you're not familiar with, and mm -hmm. to try and assert yourself and be and be um, involved in that community, right? So he said it's one of the hardest things he had said. So like. Kind of going back to what you guys are saying about being involved in the community, I think, I think that is definitely a added bonus um, because mm -hmm. it's just it's just certain nuances and certain things that you can kind of see. You're like, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, this guy is just doing this. You know, like there's certain things where just kind of you have a kind of I guess for lack of better words, a, a sixth sense of the community that, that you're involved with. You know, yeah. um, to kind of you, go ahead. you moved to Calgary, is it? Yeah, yeah, Calgary, yeah. yeah. That. Wherever you guys are in Calgary, that was foreign to you when you moved there, right? One hundred percent. But you you learned or you developed how to interact with that community. Man, so it was it was get out when I first moved out here, man. There's, it was it was tough. Yo, I was, it, I was, it was tough, but you did it. I was I was so I was so shocked. Like the first the first hey, day I moved out got, here, I walked I walked I walked around like the neighborhood because I just wanted to see what was in the neighborhood, and like all these like. I'm not used to being people around so many, white, so many white people smiling. They're and, smiling uh, at you. Yeah. I, was <laughs> like, yo, yeah. I was like, yo, if, I, if, a, if a teacup comes out, yo, it's I'm out of here, yo. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here for sure. You got it lucky because I first moved to Alberta. My first encounter in Alberta, I, I went from Toronto. So everyone knows like Toronto. Well, Toronto is like a big city, uh, high-spirited, a lot, a lot of stuff going on, multicultural, diverse big buildings, this is a big city, you know? I went from Toronto to Edmonton. So those that know Alberta know Edmonton, Edmonton is like, it's called Edmonton for a reason. Like there's nothing going on. It's just blue collar, work, 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 you know, like, like it's, it's like, it's gray. It's just, everything just brings you down. So I went from Toronto there, so I was depressed. I was like, this is awful. This it can't get worse than this. And I went from, <laughs> I went from Ed Edmonton to Calgary. And I'm like, oh, it's not Toronto, but it's not Edmonton. And the way people just, not everybody, but the majority of people is just they embrace you, like they, they, they smile at you. It's like, and I said, Toronto, like I love Toronto. It's the screw face capital of the world for a reason. Um, but Calgary is one of those places where like I can walk down my street and somebody I don't know can smile at me and say good morning and small things like that just kind of everyone's cordial. It's but it's weird though, man. Like coming from like and I said, going to Toronto, like you kind of learn to kind of walk around a certain way. You know what I mean? Like like I grew up in Galloway, like I, I know. Senator always gets to me kind of name drop and stuff, but I know Prima, I know all these guys. So like growing up around all these guys, like you can't, you can't act a certain way. You can't, you can't like, you can't be passive or, you know, like you got, you got to, you got to stand up on your own two feet eventually. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, you got to walk that way. You got to walk that way. And Calgary is like, it's not like that. It's not like that. Like, you don't got to walk that way in Calgary. Like I can walk my daughter and my dog and kind of, you know, like listening to the Spice Girls, Walking down the street, 
know what I mean? This <laughs> <laughs> is one of those things, man. Huh. man. I, I ain't there yet. Um, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some steps we can take towards um, having better relations between um, marginalized communities and law enforcement? So what roles do civilians have in this and what roles do law enforcement have? I think mm. coming to the table, like Milton said earlier, discussions. Like if, to serve the community, we have to know the community's needs, right? And the only way you're going to know their needs is by the community telling you what, they're, what they, they want. Um, if it just goes by the police perspective, we might just think it, it's gun crime or something in a certain area, whereas the people in that community might think it's something else. It might be housing, it might be employment, it might be anything. Um, but if we don't have the conversation, then we, we're not gonna be able to know exactly what a community needs. And those needs can change anytime, right? So we have to have mm -hmm. constant dialogue to see what's going on. And that's like, we have neighborhood officers in Toronto. I don't know if you guys have those in Calgary, mm -hmm. which are, are having those meetings. Unfortunately, not probably not right now because of COVID and everything. COVID, yeah. Mm -hmm. They have those community meetings where they're 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 getting to feedback from the community on what's needed and when they may want to see police. Like, you know, there's been a rash of break-ins, but this time, do you mind coming around and being in the neighborhood at a certain time? If if they didn't tell us this, we might not be doing that, right? So mm -hmm. dialogue. <clears throat> but we also have to have you know an open mind on both sides. Policing and the community have to have an open mind. So if we're saying that we want effective change, then we have to mean it. And if one side is trying to come to the table, we come to the table, but also the community come with solutions. And if we are saying that we want to have effective change and positive effect for the young people, we have to have them at the table. Yeah. We as adults can't be making decisions on our own exactly. that affects young people and not involve them and include them. We as policing cannot be making decisions for the community without involving the community. So whomever is gonna be affected or impacted by the decisions that we make have to be at the table. And we have to have representation at the table. Sometimes when I talk to some of my white colleagues who are police officers who think they can't make an impact in a black community, quote unquote, or a community that have a majority of black individuals or minorities, I say to them, you are wrong. I said, if you come and you have a positive mindset, I said, at first they may rebuff you because they don't know who you are and they want who to make are. sure and prove you. But if you are genuine, after a while, they will recognize that and they For don't sure. care what color you are. As long as you are positive as an officer and you mean to have positive effect on that community, they will embrace mm -hmm. you, but you may have to prove yourself at first. Mm -hmm. You know, because, and, yeah. and that genuineness. And the community, when they come to the table, come and recognize that sometimes as officers, we are lost in terms of what's happening in the community because some members have never been impacted or been affected the way you are. They've never had that experience. Mm -hmm. So recognize they may not know how to handle what you're going through and take the time to maybe explain, break it down and be patient. So it may take some time. Right now, the police in Toronto, they're having this focus table concept wherein they're now trying to come to the community, recognize that an in person who may commit a crime, what, what's behind it? Mm -hmm. Is they, do they need some family help? Is it mental health? Is it this? 
So let's try and break down what's happening and see how we can affect that person, help that person, because we have to help their family. Once we help this individual, we may have to then turn to the family and say, how can we help the family? Is it housing? Is it this? Right? So there's a lot of things that we need to do, but as long as we come with a plan and we come collectively that we're going to stick together and do it, it can be fine. But we can't have members of the community who are coming to the police and want to say, you know, we're here for we want change, we want change. And when the police are ready to speak, you keep on attacking yeah, and attacking that? and attacking. It's not going to work. Right. We have to recognize and give and take on, on, on both sides of the equation and recognize that we're here to serve and protect working together with the community. If we're not working with the community as officers, we're doomed. We have to work with the community. And hopefully once we embrace the community, the community embraces us and we can work together. Definitely, definitely. I think that's, definitely. Yeah. that's a very true statement. But I also want to add- One of the biggest add, words you said? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I also want to add that with the fact of we have civilians and we have law enforcement, and yes, that's true, but we also can have civilians that are city councilors. We have that can go in to really make impacts on that level too. So sometimes, sometimes we just look at it as there's just the two sides as civilian and law enforcement, but there are other areas of aspects that can play mm -hmm. into everything. And so if you know that if you're somebody that has the support, you're a go-to person in the neighborhood and might be one of those people that really can make a real impact and know that you can really make an impact on a higher level than what you're currently doing, whether that might be volunteering or whatever. Try it out. Try being a city councilor. Try making that effort right there because you have, I've known people that I went to high school with that tried to run for city councilors and stuff like that. They didn't have, they didn't have the voice that some other people do have, but there's never a thing that says you're not allowed to do it. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with giving that a shot. You might be that person that can go in there and really tell law enforcement at that point, this is what's really happening. And I know this is really happening because I live there. And I also am hearing from the community like, hey, this is happening at this time, at this location, mm -hmm. every single day. And everyone yes. shows up 30 minutes late after that. Right. So mm -hmm. there's other areas that people can do to really to really help the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. I mean, I, mean, I think yep. kind of, kind of, kind of attaching to what Senator just, just said and speaking to what Milton said earlier is that like being genuine, like people can, can sense bullshit. People can sense what's fake. People can sense when you're, when you're trying to like fit in, like people can, can sense that. So like when you're genuine and you have like real pure intentions, okay, like I want to, help the situation. I want to be involved in the situation. I want to help this community. Whatever, whatever that is, like being genuine in that. And then on the other, other end is that the community coming to the table. I know like in, in like my community growing up, like I was always taught, like don't talk to police. You know, like I have nothing to say to them, you know? Um, and like as an adult now with a kid and wanting more kids and being um, like kind of removed from that environment, it's like, okay, well, maybe I might have negative involvement with police officers, but how are they going to know what my needs and wants are if I don't talk to them? They're going to get, they're, they're going to pull their own information from whatever information. It's not going to kind of, it's not going to affect me. So whatever, like I, I'm, I'm doomed, you know? So unless I'm at the table, unless I can kind of be there and speak, you know, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is what my, my community needs, this is what I see for my future. Unless I'm there and have those conversations, 
I can't better myself, right? So kind of like you got to kind of help yourself out, you know? You know, you can't just always play the victim, you know? And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that kind of being involved in the community that I've, I've kind of seen that like always, you know, woe is me, the police are, police are picking on me, which definitely happens. Like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but what I'm saying is like you can't handicap yourself. You got to come to the table. Right? Speaking to what Milton said, you got to come to the table, right? So. Yeah, I honestly think it'll definitely help with community relations going forward, especially when Milton was just saying that um, a lot of the police officers now, what they're wanting to do is get to the roots of all these situations and issues that people are having and to, to have these open dialogues. So I definitely think it, it, it's it, there is some direction that it's going in and it seems to be a positive one. So those are things that a lot of um, like people like us civilians, we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of, we have media, we have the news, we have six buzz and all these other crazy things that we're looking at and it's all negative. So it's good mm-hmm. to hear the other side of that. Like, there's actually some positive tr- um, things going forward. It's good you mentioned yeah. that because people, p- people who know me know I do not watch the news. I hate <laughs> the news. I hate it. Anyone who knows me knows I hate it. My mom watches CNN like it's like the gospel channel. CNN is her channel, like Nancy Grace, all that. Like, she loves that stuff. Like I can't do it because it's just like I'm one of the people that, like like nothing really phases me, but I hate negativity. And whenever I turn the news on, it's always something negative. And it's just one of those things where like if you watch the news, like you you're just gonna get a hatred for this and for that and for this. Like if I watch the news all the time, like I would, I'd be strongly against COVID. You know, because like, mm. you know, like I'd be strongly against policing i'd be strongly against a lot of things because it's just the news like the news is so negative media in general is so negative i know we have a podcast and stuff and this is us kind of speaking our truth but media in general can be so draining and negative and it's funny you mentioned that fanfare man because i that's i hate the news bro i hate it i hate it Mm -hmm. if it bleeds if it bleeds it leads is what they say right so Mm -hmm. it's it's entertainment and you guys have a podcast but yeah you're not answering to anyone with any no special interest. You're you're, you're dealing with it on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Each each um, news agency, whatever, has someone that's paying their bills that they have to. Yeah, they have to yeah, uh, for sure a, a controlling entity for, at the top. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So yeah. they need to keep their ratings up. They need to have the shock value. They need all this stuff. So I will say that why. I'll say that you should check out the news. You just shouldn't check out the news every like every moment of the day. <laughs> Like you should know you the news as much as whatever local news is something that you should check out to see what happened in the city that you live in. Um, Cause sometimes when you hear it through the word of mouth, it's not exact anything close to what is actually happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you should check it out. You shouldn't focus your entire day on it because <laughs> if you already are a person that lives in fear, then it just, it, especially for that. your mental health, oh, yeah. And we just left uh, Mental Health Month. Um, it plays onto it. So you should take, you always have to make sure self-care is the best care and make sure that you're focusing on that. Yes, you want to be, know what's going on in your community. Just don't sit in front of the TV and watch CNN, Fox, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, don't TV, be my mom. CB, 24, yeah, all, 24 hours a day because that's not going to help your situation. You got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And because of that, I'm going to ask this last question before we jump into the social media promotions. Um, After a very hard day, everybody here works. Uh, We all work in different fields, but we all work. After a hard day of work, 
Is there a song or a show that you like to come home to listen to or watch to just help you unwind after that day? Turn your brain off. <laughs> uh, I listen I mean, to like <laughs> I listen to podcasts like right now. I'm on the Joe Budden podcast. That's me too. Me too. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> on my way to work, on my way home from work, yep. the Joe Budden podcast. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of different shows on uh, on, on Netflix. I'm kind of into like um like Korean movies and series on, on Netflix. So that's what I kind of do to uh, unwind. Okay, okay. And the one thing I will say to you, Tremaine, is because everybody, everybody on this podcast, even my people, they know that I've been a huge Joe Budden fan from like when you were rapping, <laughs> like way back yeah. in the day, right? So like yeah. I was uh, tuning into Joe Budden podcast from like day one, right? Like episode one, yeah. I was there. Yeah. Um, but ever since when I started, when I got my car and I started driving, it takes me like three days to finish the episode because they're like three <laughs> hours long. So I'm like, long, long. So, so I'm like, all right, cool. This is a whole week, like two times a week. That's my entire week, my entire drive to and from work. So, yeah. For me, I've got big grown kids, you know, so there's nothing sweeter for me. You know, then, you know, I listen to music and I love music. Then coming home and sometimes I pick up my daughter from work or I pick up my son and coming home and just chilling out. And I love the fact that I have grown kids, aside from just family things, but I have grown kids who would sit and watch something with me. They still want to watch something. We have different things that we watch together and stuff like that with my son, like Full Metal Alchemist and, you know, certain animes and stuff like with my daughter, it might be Law and Order and with the family aspect or this. But it's just the sweetest feeling to know that I have a son who's almost 29, a daughter who's 27, and we can just chill out definitely. and just watch something together. And you just forget about everything. Definitely. You know? definitely. And you just can sometimes you can watch certain things as a family. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when the family get together and you can watch something as a family and just relax, I, I love it. I love it. I feel you on that sure. one. That's the that's the one thing where me being a new father, my daughter is almost two now. And like when I was like coaching basketball and uh, well, I still am coaching, but like due to COVID, like when I was doing like at Sade and stuff, I'd come home and I'd want to watch videos and stuff and like go over a game film and stuff. And it's like, my brain never turns off because I, I'm coaching at the game and I leave the game, I come home and I'm analyzing, I'm coaching and stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I go to sleep and I wake up and I'm coaching and I go to the gym, I'm coaching. It's just never ending cycle. And like having my daughter around, it's like, oh, I come home and if she's awake, which most times she is like like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. But if I come home and, and she's awake, it's like oh, I can hang out with her for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, and just turn my brain off for a little bit, or come home and watch my girlfriend's dumb TV that she watches. All that I don't, I'm not even going all the stuff she watches. She watches all that Japanese stuff and all that stuff. I'm not I'm not getting to it, man. Sarah knows, man. He, I came home one time. He's watching. What are you watching? That the Circle or something? I'm like the Circle. It's a dope show. Let's check it out. The Circle. I can't believe like, to watch the Circle. What the hell is this? And by the, and 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 I, we the we don't appreciate you calling them dumb shows. It's just not no. shows that you watch. No. They're not dumb shows. They're just shows no, that you no, watch. No. Uh, These are awful. Dwayne, different shows. Different shows. Wait, very what's, what's yours? I just my music, just listen to some music, just put on some podcasts on YouTube, just go on Netflix, put on a show or a movie or something. Mm. 
I watch anime or read mangas. I'm, I'm a nerd. I just do all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> nah, nah, it's a, nerds, nerds are in right now. That's what yep. thing. So that it's damn skipping. Yeah. Um, and for me, I will I will honestly tell you that it depends on how like stressful of a day of work I have. But let's say I'm gonna take it to the fully extreme. Uh, like the most stressful day that I, I would have. Honestly, I come home and I watch something very ridiculous and I watch like the the best of catfish on YouTube. Just <laughs> just just cause <laughs> just cause to me I'm like, man, like I think last week they dropped episode it's like season eight, episode thirty-two. Like this stuff is still happening Yo, to the day. So like I just I, saw a video on IG of catfish with um Peter Guns. Was it, was it was it Peter Guns on it? Yo, it was like uh, what? No, he was he Yo. was like co-host. He, no, he's doing bro, he's, he's, not, he's, he's on it, do, bro. Something. He's not doing he's not doing um catfish. He's host, he's a new host of cheaters. Oh cheaters. Oh. Oh, cheaters. Oh, wow. Peter Guns? Peter Guns, I'm like, what? This man's talking about how oh, I don't know. It was wild. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy to me. Peter Guns, bro. Nah, I just, I, I think it's just ridiculous. Like, I think it, I find it very funny that people, like, in this era, like, while COVID is going on, that people are still saying that they've been in a three-year relationship with somebody and they've never seen them <laughs> and there's no, no way to video chat or anything. And I'm like, That's awful. I'm like, nah, nah, this can't be That's real. Awful. So talking, just, on the, talking on the phone for two years. Yeah. So <laughs> never just, seen them. It just makes me laugh because I'm like, it just completely separate from everything that I do throughout the day. So it just, it's just, <laughs> but um, we reached the part of the podcast where we get to promote our social medias and anything else that we might be working on. So we're going to start with our guests. So Tremaine, you want to start off? I don't really have any uh, social media to promote or anything like that, but I would uh, like to say, I, we didn't mention it earlier, but my team Chelsea is the, 2021. Chelsea for winning the Champions League today. Unfortunately, we didn't win FA Cup two weeks ago, but we'll settle with just a Champions League win. Sorry? Is that UEFA or is that Champions League? UEFA Champions UEFA League, yeah. Champions League. Yeah. Yeah. That that might be the wildest promotion that we've had on the podcast <laughs> when we started. <laughs> hey, but we, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. I uh, shout out Lakers all the time, so that's what it is. Mm. <laughs> uh, Milton. Yeah, for me, you know, I, I just like to shout out some of the groups I work with in the community. I think they're just doing a fantastic job. And in Brampton, I have Rescue Youth International with Abigail Hamilton just doing a fantastic job out there. You know, the East Carver Boys and Girls Club affiliated with for a Great deal of time impacting the community in Scarborough. Sometimes working 4301 Kingston Road and there's Ontario Justice Education, OGEN. You know, just, just, just individuals and communities and groups that are just doing a fantastic job with our youth in the community. And just I like, say big up and just continue doing it, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, I love, appreciate that, love. yeah. Coach? Um, yeah, my IG is real deal underscore Francis. That's, that's my IG. And um, <clears throat> we just got some word that we're going to be... Uh, well, they've rolled out a plan for us to be back to kind of regular life uh, as of what? When is it? July 1st? COVID's over July 5th, people. Just July, in time July for 5th. a stampede. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they've, they've rolled out this plan. So 
the ACAC, they ruled out the plan for us to get back to kind of coaching basketball and stuff. Or not, not only basketball, but coaching um, sports in general and getting, getting back to that kind of daily stuff. Um, so I'm kind of just in limbo right now. Like, I'm excited because I get to get back in the gym soon, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Um, but, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Nope. Do it. Um, yeah, just my Instagram, Chaz, C-H-A-S underscore 10 and bomb, T-E-N-E-N-B-A-U-M. Yo, why are you, why are you always coming so smooth for, man? Like, why? Like, I'm always here. I'm always, like, I'm always ready to go with, yeah, so uh, my Instagram. <laughs> like, why? I don't know, man. That's how I talk. I can't change how I talk. <laughs> we are, we are going to also thank uh Dwayne's girl for empowering him this episode and that's the reason and shout out to you he probably did it smooth one time she was like I really like how you did it so he's like I'm, I'm, gonna, keep, I'm gonna keep doing it that way too um hey man this is one thing empower your black men empower them speak, speak, yep. li- speak life into them yep and as for me, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at the Senator. Don't forget to check out Not So Soft Podcast with myself, Nino Rockwell, Kino the Great. We drop every Friday. Don't forget to check out Talks with the Chatterbox with Mr. Pro Chatterbox himself. Once again, congratulations. Congratulations. He yes, asked sir. a question. Yes. He asked a question. Pop she said question. yes. Congrats. Congratulations, um, my brother. So congrats, uh, Mr. Pro Chatterbox and his fiance and Baritone Levy's be... on that podcast. So question, would she be Mrs. Pro Chatterbox now? No, they're not married no? yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, don't forget to check out the chat room podcast on Instagram at the.chatroompod. If you have more questions that you would want us to ask our officers that were on here, don't forget to email them to our email at thechatroompod at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share the chat room podcast wherever you listen to. We're also drop audio and video on the same day. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, the chat room pod. You'll see it there. Just search it. We have all the episodes on there. All videos are on there too. Um, And before we end off, we just want to say thank you very much to our guests, Officer Milton, Officer. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I think the conversation was dope. And I think that uh, once when we if when we get more questions and stuff like that, we'll we'll definitely reach out for a part two. So just be prepared for that. And anytime. And this has been the chat room podcast, your favorite ballers, favorite podcast. And we are out. Peace. Peace. Blessings.